0: Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is brought to you by the Friends in Recovery Community, a thriving network of individuals who are fighting back against the stigma of addiction. Join our hosts as they speak up about the real issues of addiction, treatment, and recovery. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome back to the Friends in Recovery podcast. I'm your host, Jersey Ed, and I am flying solo today because we have a special guest speaker. Um, tell you more about that in a second, but I just want to let you guys know, please, if you're looking to get some help or, or just talk to us, please visit our website. Um at friendsandrecoverycommunity.org, you can find all these shows there, and also you can find a list of all our meetings, and actually, you can go actually to our meetings from that um, that website. Also, um, if you want to email us, uh, help at friendsandrecoverypodcast.com, you can get a hold of me or um, anybody, um, <clears throat> Bambi or Beth or Jill or Dan, whoever's hosting, whenever we host, uh, get a hold of them there, or my personal email address, which will be right here. Um, uh, Let's see, also, uh, you can call us 800-989-6504. That is a non-emergency number, but if you want to talk to one of us, um, please leave a message and we'll be sure to get back to you right away. Uh, Today's special guest is Jeff Zazel. Um, a dear friend of mine, a dear friend of our shows, guys. Uh, Jeff actually started a podcast um, almost six years ago. I think beginning of February will be six years old. The podcast, um, and uh, we, you know, Jeff was one of the original hosts. If you go way, way back to the beginning, the first show, it's the Podfather, me, Jersey Ed, and Jeff on um, a cool looking studio up in um, massive uh, up in. Uh, where were we at? Um, New Hampshire, Salem, New Hampshire, um, at a cigar lounge. And uh, they had an amazing podcast studio there. Um, but we're doing things different today, of course. We, uh, we, we've developed and grew and here we are today. Um, Jeff is the speaker. Jeff is a really good friend of mine on top of all this. Jeff is like a, a personal uh, mentor of mine. Um, and I'm not sure if any of you guys have mentors out there, but I really suggest you, you know, kind of find a few. Um, Jeff is just one of many of my mentors and I'm not talking about a sponsor, but yeah, a sponsor can be a mentor too. But um, somebody who, who, who you can go to for specific things, not just recovery, just everyday life stuff, maybe financial stuff, business, um, whatever that is. And, and Jeff is my go-to guy for kind of everyday life stuff. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, kind of um, like the right direction stuff you know, and resiliency and grit. Definitely. That, that's what he's my go-to for. Um, he actually, you know, kind of pointed out in me that, uh, you know, I have it in me sometimes when I doubt myself and we all get to doubt ourselves and, and kind of up in the air about things. But um, that's what mentors are for, guys. And please, and if, if you want to be a mentor, um, reach out to people because you guys have a lot to share out there. You guys have a lot to give, um, just like Jeff does. Um, and you know, this interview, um, not even an interview, it was just a presentation or, or, um, you know, a sit down with Jeff. Uh, he did this on my, um, I have another channel called, um, lifelong wellness. And he did this for my mastermind class. We do a bi-weekly mastermind class Wednesday nights, um, at 7 PM Eastern time. If you're interested in that, shoot me an email, um, um, And I will tell you more about that, but that's not what the show is about. So I just wanted to set the scene. Jeff um, came on and spoke to my mastermind class, and um, it it was such a great uh, interview or or, or presentation or whatever you want to call it um, that I, I told the girls and everybody that I would love to have Jeff, you know, the recording of Jeff on the show, and everybody agreed, um, because it is an amazing show. So, um, I just want to, um, you know, just kind of give you guys a little, little intro on that. You'll hear Jeff talk at the beginning about, about him and I and, and back and forth. So I just wanted to kind of set the stage for that because it was used in a different context. Um, and now we are using it here for friends and recovery, but, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure that this interview or this uh presentation that jeff did gets out there and gets out there for us for for us here in friends in recovery because um we also have a a, a regular side of life too like we, we we're not just in recovery all the time like we yes we are in recovery absolutely but there's other things in life too um and jeff kind of points that out in this um this uh this Presentation that he's doing, he goes every which way in this presentation, all about grit and resiliency. From Victor Frankel to uh, you name it, it's on there. Um, you know, and he, he at the end of the interview, he, he uh, talks about some of my favorite things in the world. Um, is that, um, and I'm not going to spoil it. So just listen to the end, end of the interview, and you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about. So guys. Um, here he is, Jeff Zayzel.
2: For those kind words, and, and it's interesting because when we talk about mentorship, it's, it's really about friendship. And when you have when you have friendships with people, you everyone brings something to the table, and usually it's not the same thing because we're all different people. We have different experiences, and uh, and but particularly, you, Ed, you and I view the world in remarkably similar ways. So it's actually sort of fun and we have a lot of laughs about that so that's it's important to be able to as you travel through life to have a sense of humor so the uh, ed, ed spoke to me recently and said hey would you mind talking on you know the subject of resiliency and grit and i said yeah it's it's one of my favorite subjects and it's such a useful topic because you know it gets a lot of you know press these days but actually Resiliency is about the ability to bounce back. So we know that beings have been bouncing since the creation of time because life is full of adversity. So the planet is probably like 4 billion years old. And I think modern man is anywhere between 100,000 to 300,000 years old. So since the beginning of, modern man and, you know, we're like Homo erectus, you know, there's, there's various species of mankind, Neanderthals and Homo sapiens, and Homo erectus and so on. We're mm-hmm. actually modern Homo sapiens. The, uh, you know, we all had to find survival skills. So resiliency at the end of the day is really about a particular way of surviving. So one of the interesting things about resiliency is that those who are not resilient never grow. So I like what you were saying, Ed, that one of your core values really is about learning. So to be resilient, you have to be willing to learn. And to be resilient, you also have to be willing to know that you don't have all the answers. So you were very kind in the things you said, Ed, but we both know, and all of us here know that, you know th- there are people who will always know more than us. And there are people who probably know less than us. So why is that? Well, resilient people have a number of qualities. And one of them is intellectual curiosity. They want to learn things. And when you're with people who want to learn things, it becomes contagious because you want to learn things. And then you share those things. And then you learn from each other and it becomes exponential. And if everyone learns something and teaches something to someone else and so on, We all share tremendous information. So resiliency is really about the ability to, when you are struggling and fall down, to get back up. And part of getting back up, whether it's literally or figuratively, is really about learning. So I make a mistake in my life and I lose my job or something happens. I have to learn that what did I do wrong or how come that mistake occurred or how did I mess up that project? You learn. So it gets to the... The one of the underlying concepts about resiliency is adversity. Is adversity good? Is adversity a a positive thing? And most people would probably say, I don't want any adversity. I don't want anything bad in my life. I only want pleasure. I want to be hedonistic. I want to enjoy myself. I only want to have good things happening. And in the concept, it sounds lovely. But the fact is, those things don't happen that way. Life is hard, and we all get knocked down. And those who have the ability to enjoy life and enjoy those pleasurable things, they become more pleasurable because you've had to work to attain it. So, you know, I operate with the concept that life is hard. Every day can be a struggle, but there's beauty in adversity, so where's the beauty in adversity? The beauty is actually the struggle, the abu- the ability to sort of work through it. So, what do you appreciate more, like having a beautiful meal every day, or having a beautiful meal when you have you know, had no food in three days? Most people would say, if I didn't eat for three days and someone gave me a meal, I would appreciate that so much more. And that's really about how we embrace adversity and difficulty to allow ourselves to grow and that's how we create gratitude which is uh the t-shirt you happen to have on it it's either gratitude or gra- oh grateful okay grateful i thought it was the grateful dead for a second also so uh the uh so you know gratitude is really part of that so i was once speaking to a patient of mine so you know by the way i'm i'm a clinical social worker i was educated in new york i grew up in new york I live in Boston the last 40 years, and I have a practice that encompasses uh, working with a lot of people with PTSD and trauma, a lot of police departments, and just regular folks who come in, and I run a couple of PTSD support groups, and Derek White and I worked together at General Electric. I was the on-site EAP clinician, and I recently left in November, left uh, the running of the EAP to Derek and... Getting jet engines built to Derek as well, which I have nothing nothing to do with. <laughs> That'd be interesting to do, Derek, but I have no no skills in that area. So when we think about adversity and, and resilience, they really intersect. So one of my patients once said to me, Jeff, I don't get this like gratitude thing. Like, isn't life just the way it is? Like what what does it have to do with being like whatever happens, happens. I said, yeah, that's partially accurate, but here's the best defin- definition of, of being grateful and having gratitude. Take a cold shower Monday to Saturday every morning, and then take a nice warm shower on Sunday. Then you know what being grateful is about. So, but there are benefits about pushing yourself to do difficult things like cold plungers and running marathons. And I think Ed just completed the uh, quinoa marathon, Kiwa marathon recently. Well done, Ed. That, that's something that's all about pain and suffering and adversity and beauty, all in the same 26.2 miles. And it all depends on which mile you're at. So when I think about resiliency, I often think about the Stoics of ancient Roman Greece. And I talk a lot about Stoicism. So who were the Stoics? They were... You know, a school of ph- philosophers, and Seneca was one, and Epictetus was one, and, and there were many senior, you know, Stoics who've been around. But Marcus Aurelius was probably identified as as one of the most famous Stoics. He was uh, lived about two thousand years ago, and he was the Roman emperor. And he ruled over Rome when they were remarkably powerful. The Roman Empire was the most powerful nation in the history of the world. There were other powerful nations that came after but they were the most powerful because they went from uh, the north of parts of Europe and Scotland and the highlands to the west in, in Spain and Portugal. If you go to Spain today, you can see Roman ruins. As far east as the Middle East they were in Jordan at, at Petra, and they were a historical city, and they were in Jerusalem and Israel. They actually destroyed the second temple of Israel in 180 A.D., and what was left was the western wall that was standing after they sacked it. And that was actually with the Syrians and the, the Hellenic Syrians, the Greeks. But the Romans built it. The Syrians and the Greeks destroyed it, and that's when uh, – to purify the temple, they lit some oil and it burned for eight days. And that was the uh, miracle of Hanukkah. And that was Judas Maccabee fighting, fighting for that temple. But the Romans were very powerful all around the world. And they were in Masada in the desert as well. And all around the world. And they went to North Africa. So most powerful man, but a remarkably kind, thoughtful person. And he would say things such as, Yesterday is dead, and tomorrow does not exist. Well, tomorrow sort of exists for some of us, but when we think about tomorrow not existing, it's really about what we need to do today. And the the Stoics also believe that most things in life we have zero control over. So if you're going to be resilient, you have to be adaptable. So one of the most important psychological qualities that any of us can have is psychological flexibility, being adaptable. So when people get disappointed in life and frustrated and stressed, the one of the underlying things about that is that they had an expectation that was not met. And therefore, they're disappointed. If you have zero expectations, you don't really get disappointed. And I don't say you should have zero expectations. I think we all need to have expectations. It's important to The most important expectations we should have are on ourselves that we live meaningful lives and do the right thing and help others and are kind and thoughtful and have a good moral compass. But we expect others to do certain things. We will probably be frequently disappointed because we have no control over that. So life has this way of like throwing things at you. Sometimes they're good things, sometimes not so good. So what do resilient people do? Resilient people look at the not-so-good things and say, you know what, I'm going to make something good about this. Something good can happen out of something bad. Someone can be sick on a plane and then get well and develop friendships out of it. Something bad happens and then something good comes out of it. Then you can also have, I remember talking to one of my neighbors and it was a little girl who was like 10 years old and we had terrible weather. And I said, oh, how do you feel about this weather coming? And everyone's complaining. And she said, I love the storms. They're so interesting, and I like the way the clouds form and the weather patterns. I find it so interesting. Everyone else is running to the market to buy food because they think they'll never be able to buy a loaf of bread for the rest of their lives. But this girl just enjoyed the weather. She accepted for what it was. So you get more beauty out of life when you accept the bad things. It becomes much more meaningful. So the Stoics, you know, believe that the only thing we can control is our reaction to those negative things. The ability to manage your own reactions is really about being resilient. So the Japanese have a great proverb, get knocked down seven times but get up eight. Get knocked down seven times, but get up eight. That's the definition of resiliency to the Japanese. So I said that to one of my sons and he said, Dad, shouldn't it really be get that knocked down seven times and get up seven times? I said, you know, I heard the Japanese were not that good in math. So uh, I do agree. But whether it's seven times or eight times, it's really about getting back up. And Those who do not get back up, I don't want to say they quit because sometimes people don't always have the capacity to do that, but they're certainly less resilient. And the person who's struggling to get up, that's a resilient person. And when they get up, they sort of feel better about themselves. So one of the ways to improve self-worth and self-esteem is to allow bad things to happen and then overcome them. So if you have bad things happen and you don't challenge that and try to overcome it, you never improve sense of worth. You always blame the world. Why me? These terrible things happen. I don't get any breaks. I get no luck. The only luck I have is bad luck. So personally, I don't really believe in luck. I think we make our own luck. You work hard, you try to do the right thing, and then sometimes you end up in a position where you have some success. So the ability, to realize that you don't have control over most things is a way to adapt to the world and actually you allow yourself to feel a little better and more resilient and you don't complain about everything. So we all know people who complain. We all complain. Sometimes we need to complain, but not all day long. And if you hang out with people like that, what do you start doing? You probably start complaining. If you hang around with people who have a positive outlook, you probably start feeling a little more positive. So great scientific studies are done with identical twins. So what do identical twins have? The same DNA, typically the same environment, typically the same nurturing, the same culture. So I'm an identical twin. So my brother and I share the room, we have the same DNA, we had the same parents, He's a forensic psychologist. I'm a clinical social worker. We, you know, we travel in the same world. And we do a lot of the same things together. And we see the world remarkably similarly. And we both go to the gym. And I call him up and I say, hey, would you like to go to the gym today? I don't know if I want to go. See, I have to go. I should go. And I say, Paul, there's another way to look at this. I said, when I think about the gym, you know what I say? I get to go. I'm so lucky. I have the opportunity to go. And it's the same experience, but we spin it slightly different. And now he says, yeah, I get to go. Okay, I'll go. Shut the hell up. I'll go. So uh, the, but, but it's interesting because a lot of how we look at things in life and being resilient has a lot to do with that perspective on how we see things and our ability to sort of process it. So the Buddhists say life is all about suffering. And when I heard that, I never quite understood that because I thought life should be about pleasure. Life should be about enjoyment. Life should be about having some fun and happiness and positive you know, experiences. And the Buddhists do say that, but they say first you must suffer. Because you don't appreciate it until you suffer. So then I realized, I looked at it differently. So what I say as a non-Buddhist, I don't say life is about suffering. I say life is hard. And every morning I say, give them hell. And then it's a challenge. Am I going to beat the day or is the day going to beat me? And I then try to welcome the challenge some days it gets on top of you and you're a bit overwhelmed. But if you have the mindset about number one, always do the best you can. And even if you fail, you don't have to feel bad about that. And just keep on trying. So I, I when I was younger in high school and after, I play a lot of sports. And when I was in high school, my brother and I ran track and we went to the New York City finals in Randall's Island, nineteen seventy two. And we were on the four by 100 race. I was the, I was, uh, he was the the second runner. I was the third runner. And the fourth runner is usually the fastest. And we all ran as hard as we could. And we had a fantastic race. And we came in fourth place. So is that losing? Or is that winning? It depends on your perspective, I guess. To me, it was winning. And my goal was uh, never to come in last. So we didn't come in last. And we were happy with fourth because we, we were not that good. So uh, so if we do the best with what we have, that's a victory. And But I also said we do not deserve a medal. Three top finishers deserve medals. You got to earn it. And we didn't earn it. But we did earn fourth place, and we earned the ability to say, hey, we did the best we could. So that that was a victory. So we know that life can be very challenging, and I often say, if life is hard, to be resilient, you have to remind yourself of the four F's in life. So what are the four F's? Rely upon your friends, your family, fitness, and faith. Friends, family, fitness, and faith. And if you're lucky, you have friends, and you have a family. Fitness is sort of up to you. Friends are also up to you. Family—that's sort of a you know that—that's a little more complex because you know you can't pick your family. So what's fitness? Fitness could be just going outside and walking. Fitness could be going to the gym, like Ed did. Fitness could be running a marathon, or taking a bike ride, or playing tennis, or walking to the beach, or hiking in Patagonia. Fitness can be many, many things. And then there's faith. So what's faith? Faith is not necessarily religion. It can be, but it's spirituality. It's a belief that there's something greater than all of us. And that if we believe that we're just here for a short period of time, we try to appreciate the day more than we do because we let a lot of days go by with negative thoughts. So to be resilient, you have to remind yourself of a whole bunch of things. One of the things is the only commodity that you can never get again is time. You can make more money. You can buy more clothes. You can go shopping. Pick whatever store you want to go. Maybe it's Macy's and you can get whatever you want. You can get more things, but you can't get more time. So if you have a bad day, you will never regret. You know, we gain those moments in that day. So it's it's important to try to, like, appreciate what you have. So uh, we also know that one out of four people in the United States at any given time, and probably other countries in the world, one out of four people at any given time has depression and anxiety. So that's all of us. Today, maybe it's me. Tomorrow, it's somebody else. And we all wake up with the little anxiety or we have it in our lives. And I actually think anxiety is is a blessing. So how is anxiety good? Well, too much of it isn't good, but a little of it is pretty good because you end up stopping at traffic lights. You get to the airport on time. The podcast started at a certain time. I made sure I was here. A little anxiety or no anxiety, you got to show up in life. So, but anxiety does help you get there. Too much you you get, you know, it interferes with the ability to enjoy the experience of life. So a lot of people have troubles all day long. I see them in my office. They're constantly worried. One of the things I say is, you know, anxiety is about future thinking. It's about projection. Things that have, you think will happen, but but are not. Depression is about the past. Things that did happen and trouble you and neither one of those concepts really help you today if you can lift yourself from those thoughts you can just keep it in the day moment so truly enjoy, enjoying the very minute moment is mindfulness that's keeping it in the precise moment but if you just keep it in the day which of course is an aa 12 step concept you know one day at a time just keep it in the in today you know you can manage life with all its challenges you know much much better so when people have anxiety remember the three a's action alleviates anxiety so instead of sitting and worrying and being uptight go and do something take a walk put gasoline in your car make something to eat go online read a book turn on some music throw cold water on your face that actually reduces anxiety so you could do certain things that will allow you to just feel much, much better. So resilient people are sort of, you know, there's a belief that there are certain people just born resilient. They come out, they're tough, and they will always be tough. And then there's the rest of us who are probably not so tough. So do we have the capacity, the ability to develop those skills that resilient people have to be tougher? Of course we do. The great thing about human beings is we all are adaptable and we can all learn and we can all grow. Those of us who grow a lot, work at it. It doesn't happen because you're lucky. It happens because you put the effort into it. So people who want to have success in their lives and go to school and get advanced degrees or become engineers or train or build a house or restore an, an old car, they have to work at it. It doesn't happen because they're doing nothing. So you have to set goals and be willing to achieve. So those folks have an element of resiliency. They're not quitters. So in 1975, the Vietnam War ended. And all when war ends, the last thing that happens typically is release of POWs. Sometimes there's an exchange of POWs in the interim, like in Ukraine and Russia just recently traded but when the war ends POWs come home come home so in Vietnam there were a lot of U.S. servicemen who were released and they were all shipped to the U.S. Naval Hospital in Honolulu in Hawaii and they all got evaluated and of course they were all in terrible terrible shape broken bodies infections tropical illnesses malnourished, starvation, psychological difficulties, terrible dental issues, visual problems, etc. During World War II, in, in the POWs that were in Germany, one out of 10 died, did not survive. In the Japanese POW camps, one out of four did not survive. The American soldiers in Vietnam, it was between one out of four and one out of 10. So there were high casualties because they were so malnourished. So it was probably closer to what the Japanese POW camps were. They were brutal. The the U.S. servicemen end up in in the hospital and they get evaluated and they're all getting treated for their injuries. So we know, we hear about this a lot, that physical injuries are pretty easy to heal generally. It's the psychological injuries, and as we call the invisible injuries. Things like PTSD, depression, anxiety, self-doubt, suicidality. Those things are really difficult to treat. But they are all remarkably treatable. So that's that's the good news. Like addiction, remarkably treatable. That's why I like working with folks with addictive disorders. It's treatable. And you see, like, amazing results. It's fantastic. It's so rewarding. So the uh, Vietnam War ends. These guys come back, and they discover several hundred POWs who did not have PTSD. So in 1975, we first coined the term post-traumatic stress disorder through the Vietnam War experience. Now, of course, PTSD existed since the beginning of time, but we could just call it different things. In World War II, we called it combat fatigue. In World War I, we called it uh, trench illness during the Industrial Revolution, when locomotives started running and people they got hit by trains and people observed it, it was called Railway Hysteria. So we called it totally different things, but it's the same experience. So they evaluate these guys, and amazingly, everyone had PTSD except a handful of soldiers. It was actually more than a handful. It was like a couple hundred. And they said, we don't understand how this is impossible. And on average, they went in POW camps from six to eight years. So call it seven years. And one of those POWs was actually John McCain. who was in the Hanoi Hilton. Now, I've been to Vietnam twice, and I've gone to the POW camps in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, and they are really horrible, unpleasant places. But an amazing laboratory for the human psychological resilience like how do people survive this It's so brutal so it requires a certain mindset so they interviewed all these guys and they said you know we don't quite understand how is it that you don't have ptsd everyone else has it they said well it was a horrible experience it was terrible it was awful but i wasn't going to let them win the only thing i had left was my mind and my brain and my choice Everything else was taken away from me, my clothes, my freedom, the ability to eat what I wanted. I was locked up. I couldn't roam. I was stuck in a cage and I was tortured. But the only thing I had left was my mind. So they start interviewing these guys and they discovered that some of them were just born that way. They were, they were fighters. They were like guys like Ed Chancho come out, grow up tough in New Jersey and Fight like their way out of like several circumstances, and they and they survive, and they get on top, and they have success. Then there are other people, who were not so tough, but they also survived, and they learned. They learned the qualities of resiliency. So they started interviewing them, and they identified what they were. So the great thing about this research was that we now know what characteristics exist to be resilient. What does a resilient person have? So. In no particular order, but what they are is, number one, they have a sense of purpose. Every day they would get up in that cell and they had something to do. Usually it was physical fitness. They had something to do. Number two, they had a sense of humor. They managed to find humor in certain things. So they would make up names of the the Vietnamese guards and make fun of them in front of them and be laughing about it. And of course, the Vietnamese guards thought they would be nice to them because they were smiling and laughing. So they had a sense of humor. Number three, they had social supports. They had each other. And they were all isolated. So amazingly, ingeniously, they created a communication pattern of tapping and knocking on the wall. And they could communicate with each other. And one guy designed it, and they passed it around. They wrote it out on toilet paper. And any new guy who came in, they managed to get it into his cell. So I researched it, and I found out what it was. So it was like five lines with the alphabet, like five letters on each line. So line one, the top spot is A. Line one, second spot, B. Line one, third spot, C. And so on. So you, the first tap is the line, then you wait, and then you tap the letter. So if the letter is C, you you tap one tap, line one, you wait, and then three taps, A, B, C, third letter. So they were able to communicate with each other, and that was like remarkably important to their ability to survive. So they had communication skills and social supports. They also had spirituality, so they were all, a lot of them prayed. So some people will survive those events because they can pray and believe in something. Other people just meditated or looked at the sunrise, and they were able to sort of manage the sense of spirituality by looking at the, the jungle and seeing birds and freedom. So that was their sense of spirituality. They also had a moral compass. They did the right thing. They would not betray each other. They all got tortured. They all broke. They all gave secrets up or made secrets up. Everyone breaks. No one is not, you know, infallible. We all have a breaking point, no matter who we are. I've done hundreds and hundreds of psychological debriefings over 30 years. And I used to say to myself, like, hey, I don't know why I can do this, but I can. Like, this doesn't really bother me. And they're horrible events. And then one day I said, I've met my match. So it was after Sandy Hook. It was so afraid just tried the whole ride home from, uh, from you know, Newtown, Connecticut, driving back to Boston. I said, well, maybe, but I don't know if that's breaking. I think it's just being human and failing. But, you know, some of these things link with you. So we all have breaking points. We also, uh, what we discovered is that they had role models. So they looked at each other in the POW camp and they identified people they wanted to be like. And they also looked at themselves and said, you know, I need to be a role model. I want people to look up to me. And there's a question I sometimes ask people. When you die, what do you want written on your tombstone, your headstone? What do you want your epitaph to be? Tried a lot of things, quit every one of them. Or tried so many things and really pushed himself to succeed. You know, was a good person once in a while when he wasn't an a hole? No, an honorable person treated others with respect. So you are in charge of how you want your life to be. You have that ability, and you're in charge of what you want written about you. So we know that sense of humor, sense of purpose, altruism is a key thing. So what's altruism? Helping other people. It's better to give than receive. We feel better when we help others. So when we help someone, and there are those of us in the helping profession, we always feel good. So there was a study done at Mass General and they had people in the lobby of the hospital and they were all part of the study They had a person opening up a door oh please ma'am after you please walk out and they had people observing monitoring what the subject would respond so the the goal of the study was to see how people feel after someone helps them so they would rate them on a scale of one to ten so they'll grab someone in the lobby and say, oh, we're doing a study on stress and uh, mental health. Would you mind taking it? Sure, no problem. How do you rate how you feel today on a scale of one to 10? I don't feel so great. I'm a five. Thank you very much. They would exit the hospital. but Someone would be nice to them. Oh, let me carry that for you. Let me open the door for you. Let me help you out. And Then it'd be another person. Oh, we're doing the study, follow up. On a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling? Every person who was helped, their numbers always went up. So it was quite curious. Like, oh, someone helping you, you feel better. Thank you. I feel better. You're helping me. It brings, like, peace into our mind. Like, people are, can be kind. Then they, they were curious, how did it feel for the helpers? How do you feel helping these other people? And they discovered on a scale of 1 to 10, they were all like 8, 9, 10, because it felt so good to help others. Altruism is a way to be resilient. When you help other people, you you reinforce your resiliency. So one of the things about being resilient, though, it's about self care. So those of us who take care of ourselves, we always feel better. And then we have to be thoughtful about, you know, what that means. So is it selfish? Is it not? But if you're not taking care of yourself, it's really hard to help other people. So you know, on a plane, when the flight attendant gets on and the cabin loses air pressure and the mask falls down, with kids. You, whose mask goes on? Yours. You put your mask on first because you can't help anyone unless you're helping yourself. So we know that we have we can develop characteristics of resiliency, and it really requires the ability to sort of like mo- motivate ourselves to do it. Um, there's a whole phenomena after trauma about post-traumatic growth. So when people have bad days and they get knocked down and then they get better, the thought used to be these will be damaged individuals for the rest of their lives. And we learned actually in the nineties and later after nine 11, that not only did people who survived the nine 11 terrorist attack get, get back to normal. They actually got better. They had a new look at life. They appreciated things more. That's post-traumatic growth. And we don't always have that. Some people just don't appreciate what they have. So, you know, as some of us age, we have health issues and problems and surgeries. And I, I've gone through my own share and I become so appreciative of the ability to sort of heal. So I've had back surgery. I have eight screws, four rods, two cages, L2 to L5 spinal fusion. But I was so motivated for the surgery that I came in remarkably healthy and the surgery was you know, quite successful. So I, I always appreciate the ability to just sort of walk and run. Last year, I ripped my Achilles. I'm on uh, in a cast for months, non-weight-bearing. And of course, it's my right foot, so I can't even drive. It's so hard do everything. I had a new appreciation for people who were disabled. Like, to to shave requires two hands because you're, you're shaving and you're moving. But if you're not weight-bearing, you need one hand to hold you up because you're holding your leg up and I'm hanging to the sink. Everything became hard, showering. Walking downstairs, I was on crutches, no driving. And then I said, and I was sort of miserable. And then I said to myself, I got to make this work. For and then I couldn't go to the gym. So I said, how am I going to manage this? And then I was upset. I was going to lose all the fitness. I was going to put on weight. I was going to lose movement. And then I realized, hey, I have no control over what has happened. But I do have control by my, my attitude. And I do have control over what I can do. So instead of going to the gym, I said, let me use that gym time to read, to meditate, to learn things. So we can choose how we want to use that time. We all have 24 hours in a day. We can choose to waste it watching videos on Instagram, or we can choose to learn uh, Spanish, Italian, or Russian. You know, we can do many things. And if we practice healthy habits, doing something 21 days in a row, we develop a healthy habit. So you want to do something. <laughs> Create a habit. You want to start your day upright. <clears throat> make your bed. And there's, you know, the great speech by Admiral William McRaven, University of Texas, I believe it was 2014. Lessons learned by a Navy SEAL. <clears throat> and the first lesson was make your bed every day. And if you had a terrible day <clears throat> and you come back home, you get to your room. At least you have a nicely made bed. So there are things we can do to allow ourselves to have more resiliency and to feel better about things. Um, it's probably about that time, I believe, Ed. So I'm just going to talk a little about Stoicism in closing. So the Stoics had four underlying principles, which are, is really tied in to resiliency. So their beliefs was that to be, to have certain virtues, you have to really be value, knowledge, uh, temperance, courage, and justice. So the Stoics really pushed these things. So every Stoic was to learn and to read and to write. And, and they really pushed that with the Romans. So we know people who are successful have that process. There are a lot of people in the world who know how to read. So they're literate. Then there are a lot of people who do not know how to read, so they don't have that capacity. But what do you call someone who knows how to read, but never reads? I call that a waste of literacy, because one of the best ways to learn is to read. So the great thing about Marcus Aurelius is he kept a journal. 2,000 years ago, you can read his journal and know exactly what he was thinking. It's called meditations It is and it's in various languages. And the reason I like the Stokes, they were the first mindful people. They really talked about focusing on today and realizing that don't have high expectations, you'll be disappointed, but have expectations and be prepared to suffer. And there's a belief that suffering has value because when we suffer, we appreciate the non suffering part. So I was listening to the radio the other day and they were talking about this one of the, the, Longest-running studies on happiness started in 1935 at Harvard University. There were two groups, Harvard students and Harvard men, and 200 boys from Boston in underprivileged areas. And they've been monitoring them since 1935, a long time, and monitoring their children, their grandchildren. And they're doing blood samples. And they're trying to, and they're following the, the health factors. And they're trying to see who are the happiest and what happens. And who are the least happy and what happens to them. So what did they discovered, they discovered several things. And one of the amazing things, and it was it's being currently run by a psychiatrist and a psychologist. And I think they just came out with a book called The Happiness Study of Harvard. And they discovered that the people who are the happiest have amazing relationships, social life, social ability. They also discovered that the people who are the happiest have a person in their lives, maybe more than one, who when things are really bad, they have some some money, they can call someone. They're really worried about something. They can call someone. They got subpoenaed by the FBI. They can call someone. The people who had satisfaction in life and were happier had people like that in their lives. So those of us who don't have those, those people in our lives, it's probably a good thing to work on that. So then they looked at physical health. And one of the studies, the authors said, you know, if you get cancer, you get cancer. It's a mutant gene that grows. It's genetic, probably, or exposure to the environment. Well, if you get diabetes, it's also hereditary or lifestyle. So we don't, he thought happiness had nothing to do with health. And he was completely wrong. So the people who scored highest on the happiness scale, they were also the most resilient because they bounced back, they had good attitudes. And because the number one factor why they were healthy is they had social relationships. If you have social relationships, You talk to people about how you feel. If you talk to people about how you're doing and how you're feeling, you're reducing your stress, even though that person hasn't fixed anything, but you get support. So you reduce your stress, you reduce chemicals in your body, you reduce cortisol, you tend to feel better, you live longer. The number one variable about longevity, by the way, is about social ability. So if you want to live a long life, live a life where you have a lot of friends and and can experience each other. It's interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine who said he believes that life is everything is predicted. Everything will happen. Everything that is occurring is meant to be. And I don't completely disagree with it, but I don't agree with it 100%. Because I also say, like, what about our ability to intercede and change things? What about our ability to make a difference and to make choices? So Albert Einstein was once asked, do you believe that everything is predetermined? I do not. Do you have friends who believe it's predetermined? Yes, I work with a group of physicists who think everything is predetermined. But I'm always curious when they cross the street, why they look both ways. so with that in with that note, I just want to say one more thing, and then i'll I'll leave or stop because we have time for questions. um when we look at we think about resiliency, we can't forget about how people have suffered dramatically. So Victor Frankel, who is a Jewish psychiatrist, who was sent to Auschwitz wrote a book while in Auschwitz, Man's Search for Meaning. He was shipped off to Auschwitz with his wife, his brother, both his parents, they all were murdered in Auschwitz. And while he was there, he was suffering, of course, and grieving, but he was curious. Why is it that some people survive and some don't? Why am I surviving? Why are others not? And he realized, after interviewing the people and he kept a journal and notes and papers and when the trains would come in the cattle cars he would get papers and pens and write write his his uh rough draft of his of the book he actually the first book that he wrote he brought it to the printer after he got liberated it was called observations of a psychiatrist in the auschwitz death camp not a real sexy title there they they changed it man search for meaning Same book, but much more powerful. And what he discovered as you read the book, two powerful things. Why is it that people survive? One, sense of purpose. They had a reason to live. Two, choice. I could let them ruin me, or I can fight and maintain my dignity inside my head and keep my brain and my mind. So when we think about being resilient, You know, these are all good takeaways, sense of purpose and having choices in how we want to live our lives. So I will stop on that note. But if anyone has any questions, you can ask or send a text or send a message to Ed or speak out.
0: This concludes this episode of Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates and enjoy free access to twice-daily support meetings. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast, is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.